Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running, international and yet understudied scene. Hi, and welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. And today we're talking to Will Smith from Afterbirth. How are you doing, Will? Uh, very well. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here. So to kind of begin as we always do, uh, how would you describe Afterbirth music to someone who hasn't heard it before? Like what genre of metal would you say it falls under and why? Wow. Well, if somebody wasn't really familiar with death metal and extreme metal in general, I would tell them that it's, um, huh. I would tell them it's, it's a very... Very niche uh, subgenre of of metal um, that tends to do better in in markets outside of the United States. <laughs> I guess I guess technical uh, technical and progressive death metal, but with a um, a firm uh, uh, footing in the the nineties brutal death metal movement. Okay, so very much aligned uh, with your categorization uh, on uh, Encyclopedia Metallum and w- Wikipedia. So. <laughs> very straightforward then um all right uh and is that the case with like all of your other projects as well they're all kind of like in that same category well um afterbirth uh although i'm not the original vocalist um in this the albums i have sang on have t- tended to be the more progressive ones and that going back in my career, I was in a band called Artificial Brain for 10 years and did three albums with them. I'm no longer with them. Prior to that, I was in a band called BioLich from New York. And my kind of guttural, low-end vocals over somewhat technical, progressive death metal is is kind of a running theme in my life, which is interesting because I don't play guitar or keyboards or anything. I've always mm. just been doing the, the the vocals. So that's kind of been my brand. But I also have a band now called Reeking Aura, which is a little bit more traditional uh, in terms of doom and death metal. Um, not necessarily as technical and as experimental. Probably, you know, getting back to roots of death metal, I think a little bit more um, is my band Reeking Aura. And I have another band called Exsanguinated, which again, I think is a little bit more on that kind of like dirty old school death metal vibe. N- neither band is really trying to go into space as much as Afterbirth is. <laughs> So when you first started like getting into metal yourself, did you start with kind of death metal, progressive, brutal metal, or was there a different road you took that kind of brought you to interest in these genres? Well, I had two, uh, like most people, I had a little kind of, you know, people from my town, other teenagers that were into heavy metal and into the same thing. And we hung out in the late nineties when I was in high school and two of the the two guys who were a year or two older than me who had already been tape trading and ordering underground CDs and going to um, underground shows as opposed to bigger high-end concerts, 
uh, they kind of schooled me on stuff. And one of them was my friend Adam Rotella, who is to this day involved in a noise core act called Anal Birth, which kind of has a cult following. He was like kind of just streamlining the most brutal mortician, dead infection, grindcore, um, uh, guttural. He, he was probably the one who played me the first Afterbirth demo long before I was involved with them or knew them back in the 90s. And then another friend of mine was a little bit more into the um, uh, ordering kind of obscure European CDs and things. And he turned me on to the Finnish band Demolich or Demolik, Um, their classic album, Nespeth. They've had a big resurgence the last few years, which is great. And they're very well known for kind of doing the guttural frog vocals over somewhat dissonant, progressive, interesting um, style death metal. So a little bit of both. Um, I've always... And I think the thing is, though, with the, with the more progressive and technical and interesting stuff, I've developed an ear for that as I've aged. Because, like I said, I don't play guitar. I have very basic fundamental skills with keyboards or drums. You know, I'm not like the guys in my bands. So over the years, I've developed an appreciation for odd timings and very technically complex arrangements and, and things like that. You know, I, I still love grindcore and experimental noise and brutal death metal, but over the years, I've branched out a lot, you know, so a little bit of both, but definitely uh, I definitely have more patience for, for certain bands now than I used to. So when you were first getting into like death, grind and all these other kind of subgenres, did you ever pay attention to the lyrical content? Did that kind of draw you in at all? When I was like 14, maybe 13. Oh, wow. 13, <laughs> a friend who was a little bit more advanced into metal. Um, but didn't end up sticking to it. I think he was just looking for the shock value and the extreme things at that age that we were at. Somehow got his, I think he stole it from from a um, from a record store, uh, a cassette tape of Butchered at Birth by Cannibal Corpse. And at 12 years old, I was already dipping my feet into horror movies and more commercially available heavy metal. But man, Butchered at Birth scared the shit out of me. I, I remember <laughs> listening to it and... The idea that, it was, you know, I had already seen horror movies, but the idea that it was music and that these were the lyrics and, you know, you know, who are these guys? I was like 12 or 13, you know, and um, it wasn't until a year or two later that I really started exploring death metal. And that experience with Butcher to Birth, may, I mean, maybe that's why death metal has haunted me my whole life, because I'm like chasing that that, you know, extreme experience or, or whatever. You know what I mean? I still I do. I ended up loving that album, you know, years later. But. Um, death metal turned me off with the lyrics at first. And then as I got older into my teen, you know, into my 16, 17, 18, you love anything that's crazy and extreme. You know what I mean? I, you know, I was collecting all these gore grind bands and bands that had pictures of dead bodies on the album covers and things like that. And that's become a real source of inner conflict over the years. I don't know if other metal heads, I imagine I'm not the only one in death metal that goes through that, but, um, the ethics of it. Uh, I've had an episode on my podcast long ago where we had Adam from Anal Birth on and we discussed kind of the the reasoning and the ethics and 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 uh, the culture of using real autopsy photos and true crime photos on album covers. Mm. Um, and I've wrestled with that and I've wrestled with the misogynistic lyrics and the gore lyrics that are prevalent in the underground scene. Um, to me, it's kind of a battle between like, you know, anti-censorship, freedom of speech. It's all just shock value. And then how much I want my own sensibilities assaulted. You know what I mean? I love horror movies. I love true crime. I read a lot of books about that. I, you know, I explore, uh, you know, a lot of dark things in media, but um, everyone has their own limit, you know? And if it, to, all I would say is if you look back at my own bands, which I understand the focus of your podcast is, is a lot of lyrics, I've 
avoided a lot of very explicit gore and misogynistic themes. I'm not going to say there aren't any, there isn't anything gross in my lyrics, but I, I've, um, I've tried to do it my way, I guess you could say. So there is a con, there's, this, I think that might, maybe that, that might be what you're getting at there. It's a source mm. of conflict, uh, kind of, mm. yeah. So is, is that like that desire to avoid crossing a certain line? Is that something you think has always existed since you started writing lyrics? Like since your first attempt, is it something you've always kind of had in the back of your mind? No, when I was uh, when I was in my first band, Cursed Earth, which uh, unfortunately we never recorded any demos or albums to like for posterity, but um, we played a lot of shows with that band. I was like 15 or 16 singing in that band. We opened up for Dehumanized and some bands from New York a lot. Maybe it's good that we never recorded the album because the lyrics were gross. Um, you know, horny, adolescent, uh, teenage boy, um, you know, into gore grind and death metal and horror movies and whatever else. Um, uh, kind of exercising those demons onto the paper with with not much concept of expressing yourself through the lyrics, but just kind of maybe, you know, at that age, going with the flow of what you think death metal is and what the culture is. So, yeah, I I think at first I started out trying to imitate other death metal bands' lyrics, and I realized over time I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to express myself a little bit differently. And I have some friends who have put out some of the most extreme gore um you know themed artwork and uh, uh albums and music releases and sometimes there's you know there, there's things that there's that, that i i'm not really into but i i it's like it's the underground death metal scene mm. you know what i mean i, I feel it's, it's mm. on the list it's on the listener the collector you know buyer beware type of thing i guess you could say you know so you kind of jumped from like shock to complete embrace to trying to find a balance for yourself then over time is that is that right yeah yeah well yeah the shock thing was over quick that was when mm -hmm. i was like just young and too yeah. young to get into it and then a year or two later i embraced all the horror and gore and all that stuff and i would say that's like 12 it was too much for me 14 15 okay by 16 i'm i'm trying i'm writing about abortions and miscarriages and the virgin mary and all this you know whatever whatever laundry list of generic death metal and black metal concepts come to mind. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was kind of trying to filter them onto the page and, just, you know, it's like, a, it, and then, you know, the other guys in your band are 17 and your friends are all, you know, it's like a shock value thing. You're trying to, you're trying to shock the, the other kids in school. You know what I mean? The normal mm -hmm. kids or whatever. So it's like, and then I think me, I, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but me personally, I got to a point where I was trying to do something a little different. And as much as I enjoy, I still love horror movies. I still love zombie movies and lots of things, but I started exploring science fiction a lot more. I started, um, uh, I've never been an occultist. I don't consider myself, you know, a follower of any occult practices, but I've, you know, like I said, I've always had an interest in dark themed things. And maybe that's kind of what I wanted to start expressing more than necessarily just imitating what I had seen cannibal corpse and, um, uh, dead infection and mortician sing about. Hmm. And is that conflict between like the desire to explore dark themes but not wanting to transgress like certain boundaries through that exploration kind of quintessential to your own personal definition of what makes for, you know, I suppose identifiably metal lyrics or is it something else? Hmm. Um well I guess there's something to be said for pushing pushing your own personal limits, right? Of what, you know, what's acceptable to yourself and that's an extremity in itself in metal. I mean, 
terms of self-analyzing it, I just think that um, there are certain people who are trying to make a statement uh, with the extremity of their lyrics and their their subject matter, and there's a place for that. And and I don't think I'm anyone to like intellectually put that down or or say they don't have a right to do that. You know, up to a point, man. I mean, I'll I'm never going to entertain the idea of child pornography or anything like that. I'll say that, but um. Uh, with me personally, it became a thing of like, well, if I'm going to write about a dead body, I'm going to write it in the form of maybe, um, uh, uh, something supernatural occurring, something, uh, a little bit, maybe more like, uh, science fiction influenced or God, like, like the art, like the band I was, I used to be an artificial brain it's very much a science fiction band. It's all, all the lyrics take place in this kind of science fiction universe of my own imagination, but there is lots of horrific, uh, body horror and kind of torturous gore situations within this science. Cause it's, cause it's, it's not just, um, maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, maybe in a way I'm not confronting things as honestly and brutally as other lyricists, because I'm creating a bit of a, um fourth wall for myself by putting it into these science fiction stories and these sh- i you know i like to think of myself in terms of a lyric lyricist as being inspired by the the great authors that i look up to and all the books i read you know what i mean and i want to i i try to look at my when you see the album and you, you uh flip through the lyrics it should be like a book of short stories for mm-hmm. me personally that's what i want to express so i guess i want to put something in there that has a little bit more of my personality and my own uh yearnings my own life uh you know i try i make a lot there's a lot of references to um uh to like fishing and agricultural themes because that reflects a lot of my family and our life here in long island in my lyrics you know whereas you know somebody like cannibal corpse or uh, a band like dead in you know they were just dead bodies gory right in your face you know the, the real life so Maybe, you know, that, again, that's why I wouldn't censor somebody to say that is maybe they're being more brutally honest than I am. But that's that's just how I it's that that's maybe that's my line to, to to speak to your question. Maybe that's where I've put myself is I'm only willing to address these things in the form of my own imaginary fictitious uh, universes. You know, well, this kind of dovetails into a broader question we had, which is how do you personally define like good versus bad metal lyrics? I, I guess you'd have to say it's in the uh, it's in the listener. It's in the person reading them, you know, it's what speaks to you. Uh, I mean, yeah, but stuff to say. speaking to you, like you not, not in terms of, you know, not in like oh. an absolute, like, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not talking about like objectively, you know, on, on a, how do we scientifically measure, but like, just personally, what do you yeah, find to yeah. be the attributes that make metal lyrics good versus the attributes that make them bad? Well, uh, again, I, I think maybe that, that speaks to what I was saying. I tried to express a little bit of personality, a little bit of originality. Lord Worm is a very easy example uh, from Cryptopsy on their mm-hmm. album None So Vile. I mean, uh, you know, the guy's an amazing lyricist, regardless of what album you want to talk about. But on None So Vile, um, that's that's just a a very epic album that's bigger than the sum of its parts. And lyrically, you know, he has this almost um, like very highbrow kind of Shakespearean poetic take on, on these very morbid, you know, macabre topics, you know? So I think, I think he was great because he added so much personality to it. Um, this very like stoic kind of intellectual air to, to his lyrics, but in a way with a very sardonic sense of humor too. Um, let's see, uh, you know, Demolich for all those years was a lot of, 
people didn't know what the most of their lyrics were because they didn't print their lyrics in the old albums. And they had this kind of like rubric of letters that people thought was maybe some sort of code to figure out the lyrics. But uh, whether it was or wasn't, I don't know. The nature of his pronunciation, you didn't really know what he was saying most of the time. And the out, the actual song titles were like seven or eight words. And a lot of it didn't make sense. That was its own approach. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There was a lot of mystery. So for a good metal lyricist, that's its own approach right there. Good metal. I mean, obscurity and a little bit of uh, mystery is great for metal. You, you know? Um, trying to think who else uh you know if you look back at De- dead infections chapter of accidents album which is a brutally gory album with real gore throughout the, the the um uh throughout the layout you know it's just one of those things but it is it's an amazing piece piece of gore grind art and 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 the the thing about it, it's called chapter of accidents and each song each each set of lyrics is a short story about mm-hmm. some sort of ac- accident in everyday life. It's a, it's like almost like the, um, like the the evil, the banal, or, or something like you know. It's it's like these stories of just everyday people on a picnic or going to the store or whatever, and this horrible, um, you know, accident occurs or something like that in the lyrics. But it's written with a sense of humor, very kind of like sarcastically. It's 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 it, it, I mean it it's it's brilliant in the way it's written. Uh, Ch- the, 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 and and there's a little bit of debate as to whether the singer actually uses the lyrics on the recording because you can't understand what the guy's <laughs> saying. But um those are great lyrics. Uh I'm trying to think off the top of my head any other uh examples. The Scattered Remnants from Massachusetts who's now back together and and having a resurgence. They had um, really the, like lyrics that had really gross death metal concepts, um, a, a, a lot of brutally, brutally gory concepts, but kind of written in this again, like a very romantic, gothic, kind of highbrow way with a lot of passion. Scattered Remnants is a band whose lyrics reflect a lot of passion and longing and um uh this kind of like romantic doom of the human situation uh you can tell the guy is putting his own personal pain and his own personal life into the lyrics even though they reflect maybe something a little bit more grandiose and and uh you know occultic or something so um i guess maybe i'll stop there i'm trying to think off the top of my head any other examples i mean those are a lot of good examples (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. But um. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess I'll end there. If I think of anything else, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Um. Well, I mean, as you've said, right? You're currently active in like a, a bunch of bands, like in, including Afterbirth. Uh. So we talked about Exsanguinated, uh, Reeking Aura, and of course, you said you used to write uh, vocals for uh, Artificial Brain. So, do you view your approach to lyrics across these projects as being relatively similar, or do you have like distinct kind of like mind decks sets and approaches uh, for each? And if it is the latter, like, what would you say are the kind of biggest differences in your approaches? Well, uh, I'll start by by saying one thing I do is I purposely try to involve my bandmates in each band in the themes and the song titles, because that way, <clears throat> even if the lyrics, even if you read the lyrics from a Reeking Aura song and an Afterbirth song, and you say, that sounds like Will wrote it, the album title, the list of album t- song titles on the back of the album cover are going to look a thema- and, and seem thematically different, because of my I try to get my bandmates involved in that, so it's not just me writing all the song titles for all the bands, right? So. <clears throat> Afterbirth, 
Cody, the guitarist, comes up with the vast majority of the song titles and themes, and then I kind of take them and run with them and write the actual lyrics about it. Whereas Exsanguinated, um, the drummer Sam and some of the other guys are always throwing song titles and ideas at me. Reeking Aura, that's a little bit more um, me. That's that's like artificial brain when I was in that band. I looked at that as the band where I could use my own ideas for the song titles. And the other bands were the other. So now Reeking Aura is the band where it's a lot of my own ideas for song titles. And so right there, it's like that kind of is a little bit, you know, make, makes each band a little different. Reeking Aura is not a science fiction setting. If anything, it's more of kind of like a, a horror setting. It's it's the 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 album, um uh, our first album, this, this is more of a concept about uh a an, a worker on a on a desolate agricultural facility. Um is the guy losing his mind or is there some sort of sort of supernatural occurrences going on? Who knows? Uh but that's kind of where that is. Whereas Afterbirth is kind of like the, the the door's wide open. I mean, everything went into on the the most recent album. It's like everything went in there. You know, sci-fi movies we've seen, books we've read, uh, true crime concepts, local concepts here on Long Island. It's just a lot. Afterbirth is very wide open and and um not not really nailed down conceptually too much you know reeking ore is is more agricultural agricultural kind of uh back to the woods back to, you know that sort of thing exsanguinated is hard like demonic old school death metal you know incantation deicide kind of vibes i guess you could say so like i do have set themes for each band um and i do try to keep it separate so it doesn't just sound like it's the same person writing every song title i guess you could say you know and and exsanguinated like exsanguinated i purposely try to make the lyrics more sparse and i'll and mm. I, I look at it as like like there's not as many vocal parts in the average exsanguinated song as you would find in say a, a, an afterbirth song you know what i mean so i i try to approach each band as if it's a different vocalist different frontman for each one in a way you know yeah okay interesting well i mean given what you've just said about like you know your personal relationship to the lyrics for your different projects we wanted to know uh, what your opinion was because uh, a lot of research has kind of suggested that um, metal artists typically take a sort of distance from their lyrics, uh, positioning them as just kind of entertainment or something not to be taken seriously. Um, and given that, you know, you said that, you know, yourself that, you know, you have kind of varying relationships to the lyrics that you've written for different projects, like, is this something that you yourself align with? Um, and, you know, has your position on this changed over time? Hmm. Good question. Uh, it changes. It, sometimes it could change from line to line. I mean, I could write, uh, something of a short, say, say the lyrics for this particular song are basically a short horror story. Mm -hmm. Um, there might be a, there might be some character or some line in there or some sentiment in there that's based on something very real to me. There's in the reeking aura, um, the reeking aura, we have a song, <laughs> <laughs> of course it's the song with this the ridiculous title a vegetative mush that melts among the shelves uh lined with meat of indeterminate origin is the name of the song that's that's and that's that's written that way to be an obvious reference and an homage to demolich and their long song for people who would get it all right it's just a it's just an homage to demolich and but there is a line towards the end of that song um, and this is supposed to be from the perspective of this agricultural worker who's alone on the farm. Is he losing his mind? Is something going, we don't know, but a line that this person says 
through me as the as the vocalist is they say that I've changed um they they say that I've changed if it's true who's to blame uh they say that I've changed um it, it's what, what was what was yeah they say that I've changed if that's true who's to blame so it's like that to me that was actually a very personal line and when I say it and when I see it live I, you know I'm thinking of specific people so I was never, uh, you know, this agricultural worker at a haunted farm, but I do, <laughs> I do inject parts of my life in there. Absolutely. You know, and that whole thing goes back to my family has a history of agricultural here on Long Island. I was raised, my father was a very old fashioned guy, you know, hunting, fishing, you know, woods, that sort of thing, boats, everything like that. So I, there, a lot of that does make it into the lyrics. Um, but you know, here's the thing too, like, look at, uh, a writer I admire, Stephen King, uh, mm. one of the you know most successful you know horror writers in the world. I doubt he's lived all of those stories, but he injects a hell of a lot of his New England existence and the people he knows into those into those books. If you're familiar with what he does, you yeah, know what I mean. Sure. So, so th- that's I mean it's a line of like how much of your, you know, like look at a band like Iron Reagan. Or look at a band like, um, you know, the more political bands. Look at Terrorizer and Napalm Death. Those bands are pretty much just getting up there and what? no filter. This is what's on my mind. This is how I feel about what's going on in the newspaper today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I just take a few extra steps, you know, as an artiste or whatever you want to say to, 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 you know, to express those things and maybe, ma- you know, mask them or or camouflage them within these stories so it's again it's it's like a spectrum of of uh, how you want to do it you know what i mean okay well that's a good jumping point to move into our questions specific to your own lyrics and so we're going to start kind of with um aftermath and with the broader picture uh so the first aftermath album you did lyrics and vocals for was 2017's the time traveler's dilemma and we wanted to know before starting to write since aftermath had already released some records uh, did you pay any attention to prior lyrics for the band, or did you kind of just go for your own style? For instance, um, the song Maggots in Her Smile from that album is probably the goriest song in Afterbirth's repertoire, uh, referring to the rape of a corpse. But that song appears to be written before you joined the band. And this topic of necrophilia, while, you know... Well, that song in particular, there's is one of a few songs where they had vocals to it. They they had kind of an arrangement to it, and I took it up and I added some of my own parts and and made some of the lyrics my own and you know things. So it's a little bit of a lyrical collaboration between myself um, and the prior singer Matt Duncan, rest in peace, uh, who obviously was maybe into more of a, a more brutal type of lyrical form than I than than I do typically. So it's like right there, I'm, I don't want old school Afterbirth fans of which I'm one to say, oh, they totally changed, right? Mm-hmm. So I try to keep a little bit of that darkness and that gore in there. Uh, Maggots in Her Smile is an interesting one because it's more written, I'm not trying to do the the old uh, extreme lyric escape tactic of it's actually a metaphor, but it is... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's more as as we as we discussed it, and as it was explained to me, it's it's supposed to be written in a way that it could be um, about a 
about facing deception and betrayal in a relationship, um, uh, you know, with with a woman, because that's, you know, the, the members of the band are all straight men, um, you know, in this instance. So it's not supposed to be misogynistic. It's just from a more true life perspective. Um, and it, I think that might also be that, that might be the first or second song that I that I, I kind of worked on with them when I joined the band. And that's like the beginning of maybe trying to explore these deeper metaphorical concepts um, uh, and still keep it a little gore and a little brutal and death metal. You know what I mean? And I think mm -hmm. maybe we, we over time, maybe we've kind of like slowly been able to roll out of that cocoon even more and more with some of the stuff. But, you know, even if, if you go on the new album, there's a song. um. Uh, so bad i can't i can't remember the 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 titles of some of my own songs. autoerotic asphyxiation uh, a song title that cody came up with um one that's definitely inspired by serial killers and the idea of these true crime podcasts and novels that i like a lot of people am consuming nowadays and in the time what what's been in the what was on the news heavily and has been for a while now here regionally where we are in long island new york is the Long Island serial killer who they just apprehended after all these years. And that's a whole big rabbit hole. And so am I exploiting that? Am I disrespecting victims and families? Um, you know, we tried to make it, first of all, as not an overt reference to that. You know, we didn't just name the song Long Island serial killer. We didn't name <laughs> the song after the guy's government name. You know, we didn't do that. We try, you know, we just kind of took something that was, you know, basically happening in our you know in our backyards here on long island you know close to the area where we rehearse and record and all that sort of thing and and you know we were influenced by that a little bit so even you know we still do stay pretty gritty but i i would say nowadays maybe there's um you know like i was saying before maybe we try to we try to veil it a little bit more with um with 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 mystery and metaphor than just being as blatant as as we used to, you know. So it's 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 interesting territory, and I'm not averse to you know a little bit of gore and a little bit of horror. It just has to maybe be part of the toolbox, you know, not the whole platter. So so. To mm. speak. Well, your vocal style for Afterbirth is quite interesting and distinct. Um, being you know some of the most difficult to pass lyrics of anyone we've interviewed, I think probably. Um, so do you feel that this gives you freedom to kind of write anything or is there pressure in the opposite direction to really kind of work on your lyrics to show that it isn't just, you know, quote unquote noise? The latter. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah, yeah. With the, with the, with the vocal style I do, there are people who do it and they, you know, there, there's a, there's a thing with ignorant guttural slam and people have ignorant lyrics and. It's just part of the game. It's, you know, some people it's fun. It's like, it's like hip hop, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's very intelligent, well-worded lyrics. And then there's other songs that are just there for the energy kind of, you know what I mean? It's, it's, mm. it's there's a variety, but, um, okay. So going back, my two biggest influences in terms of doing death metal vocals are probably Matt Duncan, the original singer of Afterbirth, rest in peace. And Matty way of Demolich, who, as I said before, like didn't even print his lyrics pronounced his lyrics in this way you couldn't understand what he was saying so for me it's always like maybe this little game you're playing with the listener um besides that listening to death metal as much as i do enjoy lyrics and like when the bands print the lyrics it's never been a deal breaker for me if i didn't know what the guy was saying mm -hmm. 
with the gut, especially with the guttural vocals, because something about that guttural bullfrog, whatever you call it, type of um, vocal, it, it it's kind of at a point now where the, the lyrics don't matter for the audio component of it. It's just about the tone and what it adds to the music, almost like another bass guitar or something, maybe. But then my thing, which is just for me personally, not every other singer wants to do that. Every other band wants to do this, but I want there to be a lyric book where you, the listener who does care about, there might be a guy who has that CD 10 years on his shelf and doesn't read the lyrics every time he listens to it. But the people who do care about the lyrics, I want them to say, that's what he's saying. And wait, is that that part? Let me rewind that back. I don't know if he said that. You know what I mean? Because mm. I've done that. I did that with, with like I said, those, those uh, you know, Lord Worm and the Dead Infection album, all the things I talked about in that, that other question. You know, I used to do that and sit there and try to figure out what the guy was saying. So it's like, that's that's kind of part of it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people, that's that's a little bit, I, I joked around about it on my podcast recently that, you know, there's probably, it's it's a little bit of a barrier sometimes for the old school heads because there's guys that got into death metal and black metal in the 80s and they don't want to hear anything about guttural vocals they don't want to hear anything about the that you know bullfrog style they they want to be able to understand what someone's saying follow along with the sure, lyric yeah. sheet you know what i mean and like so so i probably ruined a lot of bands for some of those guys you know that's more my generation is like the late 90s brutal bands when like dying fetus and devourment and all these other bands were blown disgorge um, we're, you know, pronunciation all of a sudden was out the window and it was more about how it was, it was the opposite. It was about how brutal and unpronounced you could do the vocals. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the school of thought I come from. And then I also, maybe it's just my ego. I have this thing where I want people to go, Oh, there's, there's actually a light bulb in his head too. You know, when they read the <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of it. It may be just a little showing off, trying to add a little depth to the, to the lore of the band, you know? Have you um at live shows have you ever seen fans like sing well not singing but like you know I guess screaming or mouthing along in a way that shows that they clearly know what the lyrics are occasionally yeah. um occasionally but not I mean I've never I've never been there where there's like you know where you could hold the mic out and there's 20 yeah. people and you know it's not I'm not you know um terror or madball or any of these bands that have gotten to that point where they can do that you know what mm -hmm. I mean I don't think any of my bands have actually, um, you know, there's a few, a few times where maybe some friends or, you know, one show in particular, there were three or four people who were all familiar with the band. It's, it's happened a little bit here and there, but, uh, which is very flattering and kind of, you know, makes you check yourself like, wow, there's that. And that, that also then drives it on in the future. There's people that read this stuff, you know, there's mm -hmm. people that this stuff matters to. So, so yeah, it, it's happened, but not on that like, you know, cinematic scale where, the, you know, where there's like the whole front audience full front row is, singing along and you're just like yeah no not not like that for me mm -hmm. yet maybe one day yeah. hmm. well as we discussed earlier obviously there are kind of lyrics out there in the world that are a lot gorier than yours but nonetheless there is still a definite trend towards topics that could be considered kind of unpleasant or vile in afterbirth songs uh, especially the scenes of filth uh so for instance you've written lyrics like um awaking in a cold sweat covered in head to toe in flies uh, it grinds you like a blender, congealing fat and blood digested while you're dripping a screaming pile of sludge. Um, or vomit pulls inside my mouth. It spills forward into her face. She gasps and runs in disgrace. Um, each from one of the three albums. Uh, so for you, what is the purpose of exploring these scenes of gore, especially themes of like the grotesque uh, and unhygienic? I'm laughing because I was I was just trying to think about the context of each of those lines as you were like um, uh, listing them off. Uh, and, and well, uh, for those lines in particular, all right. The first one, though, the waking in a cold sweat, covered in flies, um, and that running to the mirror, staring back at styes. 
that's about what which it was one of the exorcist films that takes place i want to say in like the deserts uh of africa somewhere it's not it doesn't t- it's not set in the united states i think Is that it's the, three the, i believe you're right i believe you're right and there was a thing about this where they made kind of two similar ex but regardless uh, that movie made a big impression on me around the time we were writing those lyrics and it's directly inspired by scenes in that movie so that one i can say for that um and th- and I, that's from what was that the sand um sifting through the sands of the unholy i think so that whole song the, cody gave me that concept about this kind of like some sort of desert um you know unholy ancient rune type of thing so it fit perfectly with that exorcist movie and that that's that the one about vomit pools it's <laughs> All right, this it didn't happen. I didn't vomit into a woman's mouth, but I wrote that line and that song. That's a song on the new album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an it's it's my version of an emo song of an emo <laughs> lyric because it's about. Um, uh, I think the song lyrically, the song kind of sets you up. It's a nice day. Um, it's you know it, it, for the listener, it's it's gonna be funny. Will's on a date. Will's out walking around the park in a nice button-up shirt with, you know, with his date. And I get so anxious all of a sudden, I, you know, I, I throw up and that's the end of the little movie. You know, it's just like a, that, that's kind of just a little gross out humorous, uh, 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 thought, I guess, you know, that the idea of that song was to kind of present like, and that was directly inspired by chapter of accidents, the dead infection album that I told you about earlier, mm-hmm. where each song is a little short story about an everyday situation that goes wrong. So that was kind of my, homage to dead infections chapter of accidents will goes out on a date things are going good Uh uh-oh you know and you know so that was that that's the explanation for that that's more of a jokey one to try to get a reaction from the listener um and what was the other one there was a middle one that i I I forgot more than like what are each of these three songs about like why does this yeah yeah why does this theme of like uh the unclean and the unhygienic keep popping up in your lyrics um Cause it's, cause it's death metal, dude. No, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, well, That's fine. That, that could be an answer. Yeah. No, I'm trying to dig a little deeper. I think it's to reflect uh, a little bit of real life grit. You know, um, like I said, that, that one example is a little bit more of a joke. The vomit pools inside my mouth. I, pur- I purposely pronounced that line a little bit more so people could understand it with the lyrics. Mm-hmm. I thought the line, the vomit pools inside my mouth, is just a hilarious line. It's like too death metal to be death metal. If I said it with serious conviction in a song, it would mean something different. But, it, you know, that, that one was kind of a joke. But it's like moreover to like I have vomited. We've all vomited at one point in our life, most likely. Sure, you yeah. know what I mean? Whether, whether you're sick or drinking, whatever the case. And I, it's like that's the kind of. You know, I want to bring that. I'm not, nor have I ever been uh the the, the sexy, long-haired, uh leather jacketed, uh metal archetype dude. Um, and it's been part of my brand for a while to bring a little bit of kind of like self um deprecating humor to the table, uh, you know, with how I talk on stage when we play live, how I present myself, and you know, it, it just is what it is. You know what I mean? I, I am who I am. Um I don't have any tattoos or piercings. I don't begrudge anybody else for the, how, you know, most of my bandmates, you know, do have that kind of look, but it's just never been me. So it's like, I have a very self-deprecating kind of thing. And and part of that is maybe this, you know, the gross out factor of some of my lyrics, you know, and I, not for nothing, I, 
I was never neglected or abused as a kid. I grew up with two great parents, hardworking parents, but I did grow up and live in a neighborhood that's associated more with higher crime, more uh, instances of poverty, more of a more of a hardworking class environment. And with that comes a very brutal, at times disgusting sense of humor, especially, mm. you know, as a young man in a blue collar job. Um, I've seen. I, I've seen what happens when people get into alcoholism and when people get into drugs, I've been to houses where alcoholics and, and drug addicts are just having parties all the time. Uh, you know, I've dealt with. Uh, I like I'm I'm trying to walk a line here because I don't want to sound like I'm celebrating it. You know, this is a part of life I have to deal with. I have people in my family who, um, you know, who have who have, dis- who have a disability, uh, you know, and 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 need certain levels of care. I've worked for 17 years in a field with people who have developmental disabilities, um, and I, and I've dealt with aggressive behaviors. I've dealt with sensitive situations. So if any of that comes out in my lyrics, it's a way for me to vent mm. in a lot of ways too. That that one example of me puking while I'm out on a date is just me trying, is just me having fun with it and making more of a joke out of it. But there, there is a lot, you know, if you want to push for the, why is there this element of filth and disgust and uh, fecal matter and dirt and uns- unshaven, unclean, you know, that it's maybe trying to process some things that I have seen in my life and I have witnessed um, cause you, cause you do have to get it out when, when you, when you observe something that's kind of disturbing to you, you know? So maybe that is part of the picture and what better place to vent that energy than in death metal, you know, that that's, I guess that's how I'll answer it. Cool. Well, yeah. Another, another thing that we noted uh, that we're curious about is that of kind of insects or beasts, for instance, on the time travelers dilemma, you mentioned bugs seven times as in, uh, trap like a fly in a jar, leeches twice, as in this is the routine, the cycle of leeches, and a beast once. Uh, but all your albums also contain at least one mention of parasites. Uh, four-dimensional flesh also mentions a creature, a wolfish impersonator, hands full of spiders, and an unbiological beast made of images that float in the sandstorm of my mind. And your newest album talks about a frog that's in my throat, people who feast on the flies, and an awakened animal. So why do you think these specific kinds of animals appear in your lyrics instead of, say, I don't know, lions or birds or fish, butterflies, rabbits? You just made my lyrics sound so much cooler than I ever thought they were. <laughs> With these these like little greatest hits. We try. We try. I, I really do appreciate it because it's, it's, it's forcing me to think. Um, I don't have the book in front of me. I have a little. I'm here in my office and I just have like a few books on a shelf. But. Because this is a big, this is a big reason why in the last ten years, anyway, lyrically, uh, not this book in particular, but Annie Annie Dillard. I don't know if you're familiar with the author Annie Dillard. She wrote a book, Pilgrim at Tinker's Creek, and that book I read it maybe twelve, thirteen years ago, and it stuck with me in like glue. The way that she speaks about nature, we quoted a line from that book in four-dimensional flesh um the the last afterbirth album before the most recent one where she describes um ants eating a newborn baby bird and devouring it but it's 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 like an observation of nature um the way she describes nature and animals and and plants and her and that that really changed a lot of how i view writing lyrics um and and all that sort of thing. So so Annie Dillard the author is like a big uh inspiration to me. Um 
the frog in my throat line, there's a few lines. If you ever hear me reference frogs, usually, uh, and croaking, especially in the in the most recent Afterbirth album, that's like a more self-reflective thing. The line was, um, I don't, I, I'm trying to think of the specific line, but there was, it, was, it was a bit of a self-reflection about the idea of expressing myself through croaking noises that people can't understand the lyrics. It was a little bit of breaking fourth wall and a little bit about what we discussed in this mm. Um, interview really so the, the idea of having a frog in my throat that's me growling like a frog for the band um, literally expressing that to the listener in the lyrics but other all these other references to insects and beasts and animals like I said Annie Dillard but also uh, I know I'm not the only one I mean but I grew up with lots of pets my parents indulged me with iguanas uh, rats um, you know we've always had dogs and cats I, I grew up in a um uh, the suburbs here on Long Island outside of New York City, but we have a lot of opportunities for uh, beaches, parks, the woods. I, I grew up with a lot of experiences in more rural areas here on Long Island. Uh, like I said, my father grew up in a when Long Island itself was a much more rural area, uh, fishing um, and, and hunting. Those are all big, you know, and, and a lot of that comes out in a more natural way, I guess, in reeking aura, whereas I try to maybe express all that stuff in a more fantastic way in my other band so it comes out and then the other you know the other thing is when i talk about parasites <laughs> this i'm not an authority on the occult i'm not an authority on spiritual matters i can just tell you what i've experienced and what i've researched in my own life and the idea of some sort of spiritual parasite energy vampires um you know it doesn't have to be some deep occultic thing it could just be a person who actually does just suck up your time and your energy throughout your life you know but then there's other there's other theories about occultic parasites um things that might feed on our own negative emotions i i'm inclined to be open-minded towards those schools of thought and those beliefs um you know I, i've read up on on, on a, you know i i try to read up on a lot of different types of mythology and spiritual beliefs and stay open-minded to that sort of thing so when i talk about parasites and leeches Especially, I think, in the, the lyrics you're referencing, it might be a little bit more of that type of thing. Um, I, You know, especially in, in the, the climate we're at nowadays with, with UFOs and the news being a hot topic and all this sort of thing. I, I try to keep it vague, but, you know, like anyone else, I've read up on theories about extraterrestrials and UFOs and interdimensional beings. And that's something that's interested me since, since a child, you know, like many other people that ended up in, in metal and other types of subcultures, you know. Um, and I, I think that that comes out a little bit too, uh, in the lyrics, you know what I mean? But just, I guess, having an overall appreciation for nature and a fascination with animals and wanting to express that, you know, maybe just as that, that's part of where I'm from here on Long Island. That's kind of, you know, it's part of how my family, you know, was growing up and it's, it's, I, you know, I, I think it's a very animal archetypes and animal forms are, are very that's a very primal thing you can express a lot using those you know what i mean that's a very instinctual thing for us so yeah i i, I guess i'll leave it there maybe hmm. yeah well i mean it's great that you've created this link between uh the kind of material animals uh and the supernatural because that's exactly what i wanted to ask about next was because you know you do have a lot of uh, references to these kind of immaterial beings as well in your lyrics particularly like spirits and ghosts uh, in fact, each of your albums contains at least one kind of generic mention of spirits uh, and ghosts, on top of more kind of specific references to types of ghosts or other kind of supernatural entities. 
Uh, so, for example, the time traveler's dilemma has devouring the hungry ghost about hungry ghosts known as kind of these emotionally driven, almost animalistic spirits uh, that are common to kind of Chinese folklore and Buddhism. You have uh, four-dimensional flesh, uh, which carries on the kind of Buddhist theme with uh, beheading the Buddha. Uh, and then swallowing spiders seems to describe a kind of Rasalka-type water spirit. And then finally, in but not of, has devils with dead eyes, angels feast on flies, and vivisected psychopomp. Uh, with psychopomp, they're referring to a kind of series of spirits common to various cultures that guide kind of the newly dead to the afterlife. So, yeah, what inspired your inclusion of these kind of various supernatural elements? Well, all the ones you just mentioned, I, I think without exception, everything you just mentioned as examples, Cody, my guitarist, inspired them. He's a hmm. um, yoga instructor. That's something that he has spent a large port por por portion of his life and devoted a lot of his life to is studying yoga and becoming a yoga instructor. Uh, I am not as well-versed in all of that type of thing, but um, I know that something that has coincided with that for him is an interest in Buddhism and an interest in a lot of those beliefs and a lot of those um, those kind of deep, you know, those deep metaphorical, you know, mythologies, whatever, whatever the appropriate term would be. So he, he yes, he, de he definitely explained... The, the idea of the hungry ghost, devouring the hungry ghost, that's all Cody. And he explained that to me, and, and we talked about it, and I kind of wrote it from my perspective. Uh, same thing <laughs> same thing with swallowing spiders, same things with the psychopomp reference. These are all things that I kind of learned and picked up from Cody wanting mm. them to be refle reflected in the band. So that that's that's your answer there. Was there any kind of like drive for you to include uh, deities and ghosts and spirits from different traditions, like, you know, ranging from Christian to Buddhist to like, you know, Chinese, Slavic? Um, or was this just kind of, again, like circumstantial, like um, by chance? Uh, I would say it's circumstantial because Cody, like I said, Cody, the reason for <clears throat> any of these references to like Chinese or, or Buddhist, um, you know, occult or spiritual practices is, is because Cody has a, uh, you know, a very well established interest in that. Uh, that field of thought and, and th those type of things. Me personally, I was raised Catholic. Um, I've, I've dabbled. Well, I, I, I spent some time in an evangelical church um, uh, shortly. I spent about a year as part of a black metal band that did practice uh, occult rituals. I, I myself kind of was just like, like, all right, guys, I'm just here for the music, you know, and I kind of got involved with it and I experimented with it and was open-minded to it after a year still friends with these guys but i told them it's not for me um so i kind of take from maybe a lot of that with my lyrics i do read a lot but i don't know um about there's no intention maybe uh, of trying to have a well-rounded you know from from all different cultures it's it's it has a lot more to do with just kind of like you said circumstantial what we know and what we, we've experienced but i have made a bit of an effort in my life to to, to learn and to try to take in a lot in, in that in that area as i could so <laughs> So another theme then that we noted is that of liquids. Uh, your first album has references to vomit and psychic pools. Four-dimensional flesh talks about the sound of slobber, a screaming pile of sludge, drool like a chemical, wretched sea hags boiling the pools of excuse me pools of seawater, uh, and ghosts cast to the water. Uh, and this theme is particularly prevalent on the new album In But Not Of, as we see lines like "Some come from the sea, some live in the trees." Hideous remains drift on an ocean of blood dripping. Uh, vomit floods. Puddle, it's up to my eyes. Soak my clothes covered in kerosene. Uh, an open sea of blood from a flowing leak. The vomit pools inside my mouth line. And even below all these rivers, people taking baits, uh, talking baits, the ocean. 
Uh, you do have mentions of fire and earth across your albums, but not nearly to the same extent. Do you know where this interest in like water and liquid might have come from and what it means? Is it something you're aware of in your own writing? Interest, man. Um, I, I would have to say that I guess I am aware of it because my explanation is I was born and raised and continue to live on an island. Uh, not maybe not maybe a traditional island like most people would think of like Hawaii or something, but Long Island is surrounded by water. We have lots of public and private beaches, state beaches, uh, town beaches. All there's beaches all over. I grew up going to the beach, swimming, fishing. Um, there's a huge nautical culture, boating culture that my father was big on. You know, my my father had a boat and. Um, you know, we would go out on, on the boat and he, you know, most of his friends were other fishermen down there and clamors and, and all these types of, so yeah, it's, there's a huge, um, kind of beach salt water fishing culture just all around me from birth. So that's a big part of it. If I ever use the word slobber in my lyrics, it's probably to elicit a little bit of humor. Um, just like that, that other song, I think the line that with slobber was actually, describing a monster influenced by the um the xenomorphs in the alien series if i'm not mistaken because they were always drooling you know what i mean um so so yeah i mean uh, some of those might be incidental just you know by way of you know i needed to describe something like drool or something like that but yeah i mean i grew up on an island and you know there we were in my family and the way I was raised, we we definitely took part in all that that water stuff. Um, so maybe that's a part of it. Also, I've always been fascinated with references to because of the sound of my vocals, the sound of the guttural vocals, the the frog vocals. I I like to slip in references to like milk, like milky and slimy, like kind of so that maybe it sounds like like a okay. like vocal sound. Every once in a while, it's not like a, you know, it's not like my main motif, but I definitely will kind of put stuff in there, you know? Yeah. Breaking the fourth wall a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A frog in my throat, kind of, you know, that, that type of stuff. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's the answer, you know? So this is a pretty out there question. Um, so feel free to totally disregard it. Um, but what I was thinking about in this connection between like, you know, water and we talked about like, you know, spirits and like animals and all this kind of thing. I was wondering just because in a lot of folklore and myths, as suggested in like swallowing spiders, water is associated with women and femininity, um, but also the supernatural and the unknown. Um, hence various, you know, often feminine mythological creatures like mermaids, kelpies, selkies and rosalka. I was wondering, were you kind of thinking about any of these associations when you kind of developed this theme of like water and the supernatural? Dead on. Yeah. Um, well, wow. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I guess I, I, I think Kelpies might be like a sea siren type of, you know, um, you know, like a female ghost luring sailors to their murky grave type of idea. Um, and I said it in my, not that there's anything in the lyrics that would rep, but in my own imagination, when I was writing it, it's set at a beach that's very important in my family that my father and my grandfather always fished at growing up. Um, and I kind of, I, I guess the narrative of the, of the song, I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be like me or the narrator being kind of drawn to a murky grave, um, you know, by these uh, sea sirens who of course you know have a little bit of a horror you know they're swallowing spiders they have that horrific kind of touch to them because it's an afterbirth song but yeah that's you, you pretty much summed it up i mean that that's that's kind of the idea and i think when cody came up with the swallowing spiders title and um i think to him it was supposed to maybe be 
something like um, maggots in her smile, uh, where you're kind of like contrasting uh, beauty with, um, you know, insects and, and creepy stuff, that, that, that type of vibe. So, but uh, yeah, pretty much, you know, like referencing, you know, mythological sea sirens. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I uh, when I saw just write that question, I was like, "That's he's not going to say yes to that." But there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll it was never do it again. It was my pursuit of, um, you know, having like a collection of short stories. How can I make this one different than the other? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, the final thing we wanted to ask you about briefly was that of the brain or the mind. As lyrics from all of your albums deal with ideas around disturbance and infection of the mind, uh, we see this in lines like "infected mind, possession complete." I've got a virus in my mind that I would never want to share with anyone. The frailties found in your fear, the fears in your mind, when it digests your brains, your memories, your soul will all be locked away. Uh, unbiological beasts made of images that float in the sandstorm of my mind. If people only knew the frog that's in my throat was all a dream deep in my brain. And finally, we see this theme most clearly in songs like Multiverse Dementia, uh, which, of course, references uh, disturbance of the mind in the title. Uh, so how do these descriptions of disturbances of the mind, the brain fit in with the other themes we've discussed? Well, I guess at the lack at the, at the at the risk of losing metal credibility, that might be me being a little vulnerable. Maybe that's where I'm most honest um, uh, with the lyrics is. Uh, um, you know, just express like. You know, we don't always express what's on our mind. We don't always, you know, express uh, our emotions to people. Sometimes we keep it keep it inside. Um, and maybe some of those phrasings of 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 uh, you know the, the the images in my mind, the you know that sort of thing. Maybe that's what that's supposed to kind of. Maybe that's me kind of saying, you know, you guys don't know what I'm thinking, you know, that type of thing. And then, um, it could also, I think, have a lot to do with, like I said, not necessarily even me in certain instances, although that is a big part of it. I have people in my life who suffer from mental illness and people, I have my, you know, my whole job is providing services for people who deal with different developmental disabilities um you know so there's there's a a lot there um the idea of someone kind of being tortured by their own mind at the risk of sounding melodramatic that's something that i i honestly see every time i punch in and go to work you know what i mean and people who have dealt with people who have developmental disabilities uh many of whom i mean many many people from that population population you know um uh, first of all, require no care and no service, you know, providers like myself. Uh, there are many people who live very um, wonderful, sat- satisfying, independent lives. So I don't want to stereotype people who have de- developmental disabilities, but I work with people who have a lot of challenges. So um, maybe that comes out in the lyrics a little bit, too. And, and I, I think that might explain some of those references, you know. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we usually mention this, um, you know, later in our interviews and you know we are kind of changing tack here a little bit but given your embrace of somewhat kind of gory or horrific topics um we thought it was interesting that you don't actually swear at all in your lyrics um so across everything you've done for afterbirth we only found one curse word uh so the line pray you fucking coward from the newest album um so why do you enjoy uh, so why do you tend to avoid vulgarity within what would be considered you know vulgar topics to some um there was a great man from new york uh, rock him, the microphone fiend. He didn't curse in his lyrics. I'm a, I, I love hip hop. I grew up with hip hop. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm 42 now. I'm a little bit in my old school stuff from the nineties and the early two thousands and stuff. And I go back to the eighties with it, but 
Um, there was a great song with a lot of really great rappers from the early 90s. Uh, I think it was called No Cursing or No Swearing. And they all kicked the verse and didn't. So all I'm saying, I used to write a lot of raps. Maybe when I was in my early 20s with a few of my friends, we were we had it in our heads that we were aspiring rappers. Um, we, we recorded some songs. I never really went anywhere with it or or pursued it as much as I have the death metal. But the idea being in my head that a real lyricist, a real MC doesn't need to curse every other word to get his point across. And I'm not putting anyone down who uses profanity in their lyrics. Again, I'm not here to censor other people, what they do. Um, but me, and for that one line you did mention, you fucking cowards, that's, that's directed at very specific people in my life. <laughs> uh, so it's like, it's like, if I do choose to use a curse word in the lyrics, it's there, like I said, it's part of the toolbox. It's mm -hmm. there for a reason. And the absence of profanity elsewhere is to make when I do choose to, to use it in the lyrics, um, for, uh, to have to have emphasis, right? So, yeah, I mean that's all I can say. It kind of just goes back to me, me wanting to be what in my head and what I kind of grew to believe was like a real lyricist, a real MC. I, even though I'm writing death metal lyrics most of the time, like in my head, there's an element to it of being a rapper, of being an MC, being a, a frontman. You know what I mean? And um, and hip hop. And rappers have completely influenced and inspired me over the years in my approach to lyrics. And that's what's what that's one way, definitely. Do you swear in your day to day life or do you is there a Well, I I I do. I swear I swear all the I swear I, I shouldn't shouldn't swear as much as I but I got a you know, I got a nephew, a young nephew that I'm very close with. And because of the nature of what I do for a living, I've, I, you know, I curb myself. Um, I've, you know, I, I don't, I don't just curse like a sailor all day long, but yeah, I mean, you, you guys hear my accent, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from, you know, I'm from Long Island. My, you know, my father had a very colorful vocabulary. Um, my mother does too, you know, it's just, it's part of, it's, it's part of the culture. I, I do try to watch myself. Um, I do, I do try, try to watch myself, especially in public around people. I've, I've never, you know, I've never liked being in, in crowds of people that would just say, you know, say whatever came to their mind in front of uh, the general public and families and children and things like that. I, I mean, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a prude, but, um, you know, I try to watch myself. I definitely have an inclination to curse though. That's something I do watch, you know? So there is like a difference between, uh, MC to use your words, you versus like just day to day you in terms of how you approach vulgarity. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, it's like when I write lyrics, it's like when you write a speech or a sermon, mm. you know what I mean? It's, um, that's, I mean, without getting too deep into it, but it's like, I, I, you know, I don't have kids. I don't plan on having kids. What I leave behind with this music is my legacy. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I, you know, the, the lyrics that people read, um, the music, the, even now nowadays the videos of live performances and things like this podcasts and all that sort of thing this is my legacy you know i um i'm i'm a i'm a blue collar artist you know what i mean i have my day job i have family members i have my little humble life here in huntington and what you know what i want to have to show for it at the end of the day is a is a catalog you know i i got to a point in my early 30s without going on too much of a tangent, but like, I was like 28 or 29. I had just got out of a long-term relationship. Um, and I was kind of in a space where I was trying to figure some things out. And, and, uh, I wasn't sure where I was at with some of my bands at the time. And I was really inspired by some of those old school Norwegian guys from like emperor and, and, um, uh, emperor. And, uh, like, if you look, if you look at like mayhem and emperor and more like the guy, Hellhammer, the drummer, there's just these guys who, if you look at their catalog, 
if you go to metal archives or something like that, or Discogs, and you look at what they've been on and what they've recorded and participated in, it's daunting. Um, and some of those guys are in a lot of different projects, a lot of different bands. They have their solo projects. Look at Is- Isan from Emperor, for instance. Those are the people that I look up to and respect. And those are the people that keep a drive in my head to want to be a prolific uh, artist and prolific vocalist and prolific uh, lyricist. This is my legacy. So that's I'll just leave it there, you know. Okay. Well, going uh, a bit of a different direction, we want to talk about the way that you frame um, the stories on your songs. Because uh, back on the Time Traveler's Dilemma, there are three songs that talk about a you and two talk about an I. And then one talks about something happening in the third person. And there's a total of actually 24 I's and 24 U's uh, or yours across the album. But they're kind of exclusive. There's only one track where perspective mix with I, you, and he all appearing together. On Four Dimensional Flesh, it's more open as there's three songs that mentioned I and you. But three only talk about a you, and one only talks about an I, leading to 19 I's or me's and 32 you's or yours. Uh, then on the new album, In But Not Of, the first song mentions my nose, they see, and you fucking coward. And the sixth is also mixed with, you know, me and you. But the second is entirely in third person, and the third mostly is, which is one I. And then when you go to the fourth and the fifth and the seventh, it's first person only. But for the last three tracks, you switch to being second person only, uh, giving us a total of 17 I's and uh, 18 U's. So this is kind of the setup for a few questions, but the first being, why do you tend to avoid the sort of like, I do something violent to you theming of many metal lyrics and instead prefer a, this violent thing happens to me or you, but both of us are probably not in this song approach. Wow. That's interesting. Um, that's a lot of statistics right there. It's a lot of information. A little to bit of math. That, no, no, that's interesting, man. It's interesting. Uh, to, to answer that question, my guess why that occurs more naturally for me is maybe because I don't like the idea of hurting other people in my songs. I don't like that. You fucking coward line. Yeah. That's somebody very specific that I was sending a message to, you know, but I don't fantasize about just killing random people. I don't fantasize about hurting women. I don't fantasize about hurting animals. Um, but there is maybe that that vibe and maybe that that part of me that is um, every you know not everyone, but a lot of us have a little self loathing. A lot of us, um, you know, at times when we do a little self reflection, um, we find reasons to be angry at ourselves. Maybe that's part of it. You know what I mean? I, I'm I don't know because that's a very, that's kind of like a deep philosophical question. Why do I attack myself more than other people in the lyrics? I mean, um, maybe it also has something to do with preferring that 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 perspective for the lyrics. Maybe maybe I feel like that is somehow more horrific if you're if you're reading them from the perspective of of someone who's experiencing these things rather than just describing them. Um, I don't. I guess that would be my best answer I could give you at the moment. That's something to think. Of. That's food for thought. Hmm. And on these songs where you do describe like an I perspective, does that always represent you? Like, so you mentioned earlier that like, you know, the floor, the frog lyrics that we talked about, like croaking from my cheeks, I don't speak. Um, or if people only knew the frog that's in my throat was all a dream within my brain, um, is, is representative of you. But is that the case in your other songs? Like when you're, whenever you're talking from that I perspective, does it always represent like an aspect of you or is it, you know, a character that you're embodying? That that's interesting because it's probably a little bit confusing because like, uh, yeah, for those lines, it's obviously, uh, you know, kind of breaking fourth wall and it's, it's me. But then, as I said, that song, um, autoerotic asphyxiation, there is 
a narrative that's from the perspective of a serial killer stalking his vic, running through the tall grass. I see them as objects. And that is supposed to be more the narrative, like a cinematic narrative of a, or, or, or like a, a fictional narrative of a character. Um, you know, the, in this book, I wouldn't say that that's as much me, like expressing some personal thing inside of me as me trying to tell a story. Um, you know, the same, the same way, uh, you know, a fiction writer would. So I guess it kind of, kind of shifts here and there. Some songs are meant to be, you know, just a fictional narrative, the way a storyteller would. And occasionally that storyteller is going to inject things that they know about from their life. And then occasionally, yes, there are lines that I kind of just have to get out from my own perspective. It's, it's a bit of a mix. Hmm. So like given the horrific subject matter in a lot of your lyrics, is distinguishing your own personal identity from that character in certain songs like a concern for you, or do you kind of just embrace this mix, this ambiguity of where you end and the character begins? I think that has, well, you know, I was just thinking about, as you were asking that question, it occurred to me, maybe that has something to do with this uh, hip hop rapper influence, because mm. when you write, well, I mean, there's all different. I mean, there's a million different rappers, especially nowadays. There's any style of writing and rap, you know, there's all different rappers now, but the kind of rap I grew up with and listened to, it's more of that just, you know, uh, a fly grew up with a lot of, you know, old school New York East Coast rappers where it was just about having a tight 16 bars, having a tight flow. And you could say what it doesn't matter what you say in that 16 bars, whether it's from a first person narrative or from a, from someone else, or you're telling a story, it just has to be tight and sound good. So it's like maybe that is kind of where. I think that has maybe influenced my own writing style to the point where it's kind of like I am um, like a lot of rappers, you know, they might be telling you a story, but they'll come back, you know, every, every couple of lines. Yeah. It's me, you know, like, like I, you mm. know, I, so, so I, I don't know. I think that's where maybe where that mix comes from of you're telling a story. You're like a lot of rappers. They're blurring the lines between reality and, um and uh, uh you know, the, the mythology because they're, they're, they're telling stories from their perspective, but it's something that they know happened to someone else. They're telling stories that did happen to them, but they're exaggerating them. They're telling completely made up fictional stories and they're doing this all within one song. You know what I mean? So I think yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. that's where the, the liberty to kind of just bend narrative and, and perspective kind of maybe comes from, for me, or maybe why I don't worry about it. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what about the you in, in lines like, for instance, like to see the truth in your mind, uh, they destroyed my life or ravenous downturn faces who you meet at your demise. Uh, they watched you the moment you were born from the sky. Uh, that's why they can't look you in the eyes. Like, is this a specific person that you're imagining when you write lyrics like this? Or is it a more kind of generic you? I mentioned you, fuck, you know, you fucking uh, coward was specific. Mm, yeah. 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 If you keep bringing that up, I might have to name the person. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just kidding. But yeah, well, like that one was specific. The, um, the, you know, inside your mind, that was maybe more of a general, because the perspective from that, though, that line, like look inside your mind or whatever, that's, that's maybe more of kind of like a, um, uh, written as like, you know, like an instruction manual for the listener type of thing, look inside your mind. But all the other references you just mentioned, were really, if I'm going to be honest, about some sort of interdimensional or demonic parasite creature. So, mm -hmm. you know, some unseen entity, really. I mean, most all those references you mentioned had, were kind of referencing something along those lines. 
Is this the same for like the the use of they or the actor in a lot of your songs? Like as you mentioned, it, it, both you and I in your lyrics is often subjected to some kind of punishment by malignant force. Like in Rooms to Nowhere, you're locked in a kind of gas-filled rooms in everything in its path. A you is ground up into mush. In Vomit on Humanity, you have words carved right rigid into your scars and end up uh, in the song with your uh, a vomit going up to your eyeballs. Um, and on Angels Feast on Flies, ravenous downturned faces come to meet you at your demise. Uh, on each of these tracks, like, are you imagining a distinct malignant entity or some kind of thing? Or is it just sort of a broad, vague, horrific something? I think each instance might be something a little different, might be referencing mm. something different. Um you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily like what I'm expressing in those lyrics may not necessarily, may not actually be a, a you know, a hundred percent representation of my own spiritual beliefs or my own philosophies. Like I said, a lot of this could be influenced by horror movies and fictional narratives I've read, but, um, I, I guess I would just say maybe it's written in kind of a, a warning way um an ominous it's it's supposed to strike an ominous tone right a kind of a forewarning tone which might come from uh being raised in a catholic environment um you know uh being raised in a you know a strict catholic school type of environment you know the, the, or uh it might even have to do more with that kind of uh I don't know, man. That that's a tough question. That's a that's a tough one to place. But I can tell you that in general, when I use that word "you," mm -hmm. it's it's more for like the listener, you, you, whoever you are reading this, you. There's there's not often a specific you. You know what I mean? Like you cowards. There's that one. There might be a few other instances, but a lot of the time, I know when I use that, it's more just kind of like a like a device. You know what I mean? It's like to speak to the to the to the to the um the observer. Hmm. Well, throughout your catalog, you've maintained a pretty strong balance of I and you references. But as mentioned, In But Out Of switches perspective after its title track, uh, going entirely into discussions of you and then abandoning the I, me perspective. So was this intentional? Um, and, you know, if not, like, why do you reckon it occurred? Well, very, well, I can say definitely with that album and very often the song or the order of the songs as they as they play on the album doesn't necessarily reflect how I've arranged them lyrically. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we, we, I don't, we have yet, I have yet with any of my bands, I believe to do that kind of like operation mind crime thing where the lyrics all form like a consistent mm. story. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to at times and it just, it just never worked out. Everyone's, everyone has a lot of ideas about the order of the songs, which should be how they should go. And it never really worked out to that, you know, and maybe that was, you know, we, there's there's better ways to to lay it out from from the beginning of the writing process. I don't want to lay blame on anyone for that, mm. but um, like like within but not of, definitely we went through a few different lists of of track orders for that. So it wasn't intentional. Um, and and all I can think of is maybe the reason why there's a little bit less of that on in but not of is because there's tons of that on the the latest Reeking Aura album, which is pretty mm. much all from the narrator's perspective. Okay, interesting. So we're going to change topics here to a, a rather weird question. Um, but are you aware that you've never written a song for Afterbirth with a single word title? Uh, instead, you have six two-word titles, 17 three-word titles, and 11 four-plus word titles. Do you know why you prefer uh, three-plus words for song titles? Because there's less of a chance of another band having the same song title. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's very incredibly practical. pragmatic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I Yeah. Yeah. I... 
you know, with Afterbirth, they came up with the band in 1993. Mm-hmm. And a one-word a one album, a one-word band name back then was, was you know, b- back then there was not as many death metal bands. You could have, you could have, you could be death. You could be mm-hmm. grave. You could be obituary. You know, nowadays there's like, when we named Reeking Aura, we had a list of 20 names and we went through, we Googled every name to because we, we don't want to, you know, you don't want to be in a band and recorded uh, an EP and make shirts. And then you find out there's another band in Ohio with the same name. You know, that happens constantly. So same thing, I guess, is my thinking with song titles. Now, with Afterbirth, like I said, probably 80 to 90 percent of the song titles over the years have been contributed by Cody. So that's more his thing. But I think it's it's more about being um, original and not having the same thing as anyone else. You know, um, that that's kind of where it goes, uh, okay. why that might be. Well, moving to talk about artificial brain a bit. Um, for 19 of the 30 songs you've written for Artificial Brain, they're actually two words long, which matches the two words band name in contrast to Afterbirth never having a single word song. Uh, is this just by chance or like were you did you intentionally try to have a lot of like two or two word matches? Well, I, I think that's just my style naturally. And there were and there were times where I became conscious of that and attempted to have like three word or four word titles because mm-hmm. I realized. It was a it was a thing in artificial brain. It wasn't intentional. It was more just that's because our like I said, Afterbirth Cody comes up with the majority of the song titles. So that way, when you look at the the backs of the CDs and read the song titles, it doesn't seem like the same exact you know guy writing them. Artificial brain. I wrote the vast majority of the song titles. Mm. Um, maybe one or two here or there. The other guys would contribute ideas, but I came up with you know lyrically that was like my baby, and it just turned out that kind of writing these two word song titles that that have a little bit of a of like a, a alliteration to them so they flow uh you know just was like my go-to natural instinct and over time i i literally would try to come up with song titles that were three words or that you know just, just to be just to be a little different from what we had been doing so that if if anything it's funny that you caught on to that because it's like that was something i was actively trying to change uh you know on the last album I did with the band, because I, you know, I was aware that that's something I kind of went to a lot. Actually, I'm going to jump ahead to one of our questions in advance, because you mentioned alliteration. Um, and we did notice that artificial brain has a lot of that, uh, but we didn't see it very much with afterbirth. So I'm not saying there's none, but it's very blatant in your artificial brain lyrics. Like just off the 2022 release, we have map making mainframe inhibitive instructions, skin, we stretch rusted robotic arms, captured catastrophe mixed by its molecules. Uh, song titles like Celestial Cyst and the thoughts that torture me I keep within the truth I tortured them just on a whim why do you gravitate towards alliteration and why is it kind of specifically for the artificial brain project whereas we don't see it as much on your others well first of all Celestial Cyst is one song title that another member of that band came up with to give credit where credit's due um but uh, that's a good question. You know, I, I might have something to do with wanting to differentiate the styles of, of the bands, you know, and with art with uh, the alliteration itself come, goes back to hip hop, um, mm-hmm. go, goes straight back to rapping and hip hop and maybe injecting a little bit of humor into the flow sometimes. Cause when you have a little, it's like that Dr. Seussian type of thing. Even if I'm describing something grotesque or some outer space zombie, if I, you know, if you have that alliteration in there, there's just kind of something a little pompous about it that could be funny, I guess. You know what I mean? It's like, the, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm making myself a little pompous as the lyricist by adding that alliteration in there. And then some of it also is to kind of, I try to write things where, like, very niche listeners of my band will, will get. Like, somebody who 
first they have to read the lyrics of the bands which some people don't second they have to like be familiar with hip-hop and know the know how like you know how how a, a rap flow kind of sounds and then they might get certain things in, in my lyrics like oh he, he wrote that as like a you know kind of like like if, as if it was almost like a rap line you know um so I, I guess i guess that's that's it man there's a big hip-hop influence there and with artificial brain I guess I felt a lot more creative license with the lyrics. Um, you know, I was the I was the prime lyricist. I was the I came up with the concepts. Those guys every once in a while would, would pitch me a concept, but it was a little bit more my ballpark. Whereas Afterbirth, not to say I don't have freedom to write, but it's more collaborative. Mm-hmm. You know, Co- Cody from from when I joined the band, Cody has been involved in the writing process, and I don't question that. I I wouldn't seek to change that. I I enjoy it. You know, it makes it different. And maybe that's also why I approach the songs a little different. The other thing is with Afterbirth, maybe I think the nature of the music made, you know, with 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 artificial brain, there were maybe more parts that lent themselves to, to those kind of flows. Whereas Afterbirth, it's a little bit more choppy and breaking it up and the the timing is a little different. So I, you know, I don't know, man. There's 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 a few differences there. But that that's the best I could do with that. Mm. Well, speaking of other differences that, that we saw, um, in that last um, Artificial Brain album that you did in you know, 2022, self-titled, um, we did see that, um, you know, in, as opposed to your work with Afterbirth, uh, there's no song in the second person on that Artificial Brain album. Um, so there are four yous, but none actually refer to somebody else. Um, so three are on Parasite Signal, where the first person narrator pauses to describe how um, a scanning panel hovers at your hand and to your feet it falls, it's blinking red and to your horror. Um, but the song is framed still around that eye perspective, you know, telling about what happens in like a hypothetical. Uh, before then returning, uh, you know, my screams turn to uh, gurgles as I fade in and out of this life. I failed uh, to warn the others. Um, and that fourth you on the final track is someone speaking to the eye in the song. So again, it's still kind of centered around the eye. Uh, so do you know why you um, adopted a kind of solely first person approach uh, for this record? I do. It's interesting to hear that analysis of it. Um, okay, so Parasite, first of all, Parasite Signal is one song that uh, it's supposed to be, if people are familiar with that band and with the lyrics, there's a song called Worm Harvester, which I think was on the first album. Parasite Signal is basically a, a direct sequel to Worm Harvester. It takes place in the same setting, um, you know, when someone's being overcome by this kind of parasitic alien on a on a spaceship. That's a little bit more straight up just influenced by aliens and sci-fi and trying to be a short story type of song. Whereas a lot of the other stuff on that art of that last artificial brain album that I was on was written from the first person. It reflected, I'm no longer, I was kicked out of that band. Uh, we had a lot of personal differences and didn't get along. And um, a lot of the lyrics on that self-titled artificial brain album really were me processing getting kicked out of the band um i recorded the vocals might have been almost a year nine months after getting kicked out of the band because that was during the pandemic Mm. when nothing was going on um and uh you know they they said you know we you know we had we had some of the songs written and i they 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 agreed that you know they that I, i would do the vocals on the album and i agreed too because uh you know i had written a lot of that stuff and in the end a lot of those lyrics became my message to the artificial brain supporters and fans um and maybe reflected some of the uh the turmoil uh in the band Mm -hmm. you know with within that science fiction setting 
Um, there was also a big thing with that album where, like I said, I had, I had wanted to do a concept album. Artificial brain has a lot of overlapping concepts and stories within the lyrics. And I had wanted that album to kind of bring them all together in a way. I, I still have like 20, 25 pages in my notebook of notes and, um, uh, notes from other lyrics and trying to bring everything together. That's why I was conscious of doing parasite signal as a sequel to the song worm harvester from the other album. There's a lot of lyrics on the third album that are kind of quoted or maybe taken and changed around or that reference other lyrics from prior artificial brain albums a lot. So people who really read the lyrics and who read the lyrics on the first two artificial brain albums can get something out of the lyrics on that self-titled album, that final one that I was on. There's Easter eggs in the lyrics for people that pay attention to my lyrics. I really put my heart and soul into that uh, lyrically. Um, you know, there, there's a lot here. And um, uh, that's probably explained. I, I think that probably answers your question. Hmm. So the eye on, on that album then is, is more often you than on, say, the Afterbirth Tracks. Well, yes, 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 absolutely. The ion, the, well, you could say that I guess I, I made myself a character in a science fiction story that was being told through the lyrics. And there was some, you know, I, I maybe more, maybe more so than usual, I made some of the themes and ideas parallel what was what I really was feeling. Mm. Mm. Well, speaking of that kind of sci-fi subject matter, like broadly speaking, while artificial brain does touch on horror, uh, as in lines like insects nesting in its eyes feeding off the mound, um, we do see you know a lot more of that kind of sci-fi theme uh, in artificial brain. So lines like we re rewiring uh, self-destruct protocols to terminate, uh, vicarious visions blinking every night into a cryogenic uh, dream world of my design, um, or disposing of the body's incineration projecting through the atmosphere, projected through the atmosphere. Um, obviously don't fit with what we see uh, in Afterbirth. So did this sci-fi approach allow you to explore ideas that you can't typically explore with Afterbirth? Or, you know, conversely, did it prevent you from exploring certain concepts? Well, I think that's a good question. Um, I think the only reason I didn't explore as much sci-fi with Afterbirth <clears throat> was because... Um, I was consciously trying to keep the two bands separate when I, when I, I was in both bands for a few years there at the same time. So there was a conscious effort to keep both bands a little bit separate thematically um, and aesthetically, but also uh, with artificial brain, I joined that band very early on when they, you know, when they only had a few songs written and the concept from the go was sci-fi death metal, space death metal, uh, death metal influenced by science fiction movies and science fiction media. And I was, you know, I say no more. I'm with it. You know, I, I love, I love a lot of that stuff. Um, so that that's for that. Whereas Afterbirth, when I first joined with Time Traveler's Dilemma, it was a little more sci-fi. There was some sci-fi. Sci-fi has always crept in there, but there, like I said, Cody comes up with a lot of the concepts for Afterbirth. Always has, and Cody's a very deep thinker, very spiritual person, and I think that's maybe why Afterbirth is is more of that. So it's like. A little bit of Cody's uh, penchant for philo philosophical and spiritual themes, but also trying to keep Afterbirth rooted in where it comes from, which is that gory 90s brutal death metal. You know, that that's like a big balance with Afterbirth is, you know, we we love Cynic and Atheists and um, Defeated Sanity and, and all these kind of forward-thinking bands, 
but we never want to be that band where they say, oh, they forgot about their demo. They forgot, you know, where they come from. They forgot why people love them in the first place, you know, especially for me, because I wasn't in the band on that classic demo. Um, I grew up listening to that classic demo. So I even sometimes see like on the last album, I saw it maybe as a little bit my responsibility to keep it brutal and to keep it guttural because the other guys were doing such expansive musical ideas. You know what I mean? So it's like with, mm. with artificial brain, it was to answer your question with artificial brain. It was sci-fi from the go. That was the whole idea. And we weren't really trying to have any lyrics that weren't sci-fi. Right. Um, and that's where I learned to kind of just anything I wanted to express. I just put it in sci-fi terms, you know, it mm. ha- oh, like, <laughs> like it, it, uh, uh, it's like, there's a meme. So like, you know, like, Oh, like, you know, it happened on a spaceship so it's sci-fi you know what i mean or you know whatever you know, it's <laughs> like it, that that type of thing you know what i mean i kind of got into that that area like i just told you i expressed a lot of real personal stuff on that last artificial brain album but it was through the this other character you know what i mean on a, on a spaceship somewhere or something whereas you know afterbirth is a lot more introspective and deep quote unquote whatever you want to say you know mm. well one of the commonalities we did see across afterbirth uh and uh, artificial brain is that both projects do involve a kind of su- substantial amount of rhyme, um, as in, uh, for example, some come from the sea, some live in the trees, some uh, smell the blood uh, by the break of the breeze, uh, off the newest afterbirth, uh, and rusted robotic arms flailing wild, unknowing uh, a way unlike uh, unknowing in a way unlike a child, uh, exploring aimlessly the vast terrain, haphazard, haywired artificial brain. Uh, so what? Uh, draws you to this use of rhyme across the two projects hip-hop again i mean um Mm. my my favorite rappers are the rappers that are real wordsmiths if you you know i don't know if you listen to a lot of hip-hop or if you're familiar with the guys i'm about to bring up but if you want to listen to like amazing regardless of if you like hip-hop regardless of if you like rap and and urban culture if you want to hear amazing lyricism big punisher Rapper from the 90s. Um, you know, he had a lot of hits. Uh, that man, a supernatural talent, amazing talent to write and, and perform these these rhymes. The most complex rhyme schemes. A lot of his style comes from Cool G Rap. Cool G Rap innovated that multi-syllabic fast rhyme style that Eminem is very well known for. Um, you know, I, I respect Eminem, but I'm very New York with, with you know, what I listen to. I, I like Eminem too, but, you know, uh, AZ, there's a rapper, just like the letters, AZ from Brooklyn, uh, prolific rapper who's kind of, um, uh, always been putting out material, material, regardless of whether he's in the limelight or not, ever since the 90s. Amazing wordplay, amazing lyricism. That's what I listen to. That's what I love hip hop for is the wordplay, the lyricism, the writing. And I try to express a lot of that in my lyrics. That's that's the best answer I could give you for that. You know, it all a lot of it comes from hip hop. So, well, the last project we want to talk about very briefly uh, is the one that we have lyrics for is Reeking Aura, um, which seems to kind of take the gore that's present in Afterbirth and a little bit in Artificial Brain up to a higher level. For instance, uh, the limbs you'll have to lose so I can eat within my budget. Disassembly, delicacy, the smell of beet, pickle the feet reference cannibalism in a pretty straightforward terms that we didn't really see on any of the other projects. Um, if you agree with this assessment, what does exploring decay, murder, et cetera, to this extent afford you creatively that you aren't allowed to do or don't feel you're allowed to do in your other projects? And we don't mean this as like a value judgment, just, but just personally, uh, what does this project and this style of lyric writing uh, afford you that you don't find with your other work? It's more death metal. <laughs> um 
it's well first of all that those lines that you that you referenced just now you know pickle the feet and all that um that is a direct homage again i'm trying to put easter eggs in the lyrics for people who read the lyrics and who know a lot of death metal it's a direct homage to a, a old school new jersey death metal band torture crypt who had a song called disassembly about the same type of subject matter and the way i wrote those lyrics is kind of homage to parts in that song um but maybe that's that right that right there you know I, i'm it's out of a love for the culture of death metal uh and it's also embracing the gore part of death metal a little bit um you know reeking aura is like i said there's a lot of agriculture there's a lot of wildlife uh there there's a lot of uh maybe exaggerated parts of my youth growing up on long island and with my father who was kind of a rough blue collar you know outdoorsy guy um, there's a lot of that in there. Something I've neglected to mention in this interview, my uncle, not a blood relative, but a lifelong friend of the family, as were his parents to my grandparents. And, you know, we, they all know each other, his brothers and, and my aunt and my, um, the director, Frank Hennenlotter, who's known for, he's a, he's a, a horror movie director out of New York city who has a cult following and he's known for the movies, basket case, brain damage, Frank, oh, yeah, and Hooker. yeah. Yeah, he's um, I I call him Uncle Frank, and I you know I I mainly see him at weddings and funerals for the most part because he lives in New York City. But from a very young age, he was the one that got me into horror movies. And if you've ever seen the movie Basket Case, there's a scene with two twin nurses. That's my mother and my aunt. And because no of way. that, I, yes, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so you're familiar with the movie? Yeah, yeah, Do- yeah, yeah. Doctor, <laughs> I have uh. I I yeah, I have a picture on my wall, but um yeah, that's my mother and my 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 aunt passed away two years ago. Rest of me, but yeah, it's my mother and my aunt. They they're twin sisters. They were in the movie, um. So because of that, I was I think allowed to be exposed to, to that sort of thing at a young age. Mm-hmm. This is what Uncle Frank does. It's all fake. Mom was in it, you know, and da da da. And I had a, I had a curiosity for it at you know twelve thirteen. So gore has always been there, but. I was also taught from a young age that that's that's your that's your funny uncle Frank who you can trust. He just makes horror movies. You know what I mean? So it wasn't mm-hmm. you know there was always that kind of wall there. You know I wasn't I didn't have an uncle who who tortured cats. I had an uncle who made horror movies. You know what I mean? That so different different vibes. So I am embracing gore a little bit there. And like I said, I love gore movies. A lot of you know I have a whole closet full of CDs and records of death metal. Obviously, there's some gore in there. Obviously, there's some stuff there that maybe is a little too far for what I would do in my bands. You know, it's it's part of it. It's just not necessarily a part of it I've always wanted to express. Um, and there's plenty of death metal out there if people don't realize that has nothing to do with gore. There's you know nowadays the the, the field's wide open. Um, so. I guess that's my answer there is, is reeking aura is a little bit more gory because it's kind of me trying to get, get in touch with that because I don't do it in, in other projects as much, you know? That's super cool. I didn't, I, that's amazing. Like that little link to the history of horror yeah. movies is not, yeah. Someone didn't expect. I, I forget to bring that up sometimes. And there was a lot, there was a long time where I, where I purposely would not bring that up. Cause I never wanted to seem like I was trying to um, ride his coattails or, you know, Frank Hennenlotter's nephew, the death metal singer, that type of thing. <laughs> I I never wanted to be that person that's always bragging about that, like it's some sort of connection, you know. But mm-hmm. it is it is there, and he is a very important part of my life. You know, that's cool. Hmm. Well, one other, well, our final question about uh, uh, Reeking Aura is just that it 
the album Freaking Aura also has the second swear word that we found in your discography, which is, uh, I wrote this in shit on the walls to explain what people yeah. find. Uh, given that this album is also clean, uh, despite uncleanliness being a major subject of the album, uh, why did shit get a place there and nowhere else? Why is it the, it's the only shit you've ever written as far as we can see? Mm. Well, your 14 year old album that we don't have access to. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm, uh, no, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, well, the narrative on that album is supposed to be from the perspective of someone who's definitely suffering from mental illness, to put it lightly, and having you know quite a breakdown. Um, and you know, your question before about why is there filth in the lyrics? Why is mm. there dirtiness? If I'm going to be really honest with you, I've worked, like I said, I've worked, um, I've worked with people who have multiple developmental disabilities and lots of challenges beyond what an average person with autism or down syndrome might deal with where I work at specifically is, is, is a, is a setting for people who have a lot of different challenges. I work with people who um you know have have fecal alcohol syndrome people who have you know more more than just maybe what 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 people kind of think autism is on tiktok or something so to speak right and because of that i've been i've had to deal with and be witness to a lot of sensitive situations somebody smearing shit on a wall um somebody you know that's uh, it's nothing new to me and it's nothing new to corrections officers. It's nothing new to nurses. It's nothing new to, to people who work in psych wards. It's nothing new to people who, ha who, who have members of their family who, who unfortunately have some sort of, who have a challenge similar to that. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not trying to stereotype or say this is a generalization of people with developmental disabilities. It's just the, the exact population that, that requires services where I work. So <laughs> I've been able to process that. I've been able to thrive at my job. I enjoy my job and it's not the every day of the job all day long, eight hours a day where you're dealing with very difficult situations, but it is something I have had to be exposed to and witness over 17 years, you know, and I've been aggressed on, I've been bitten by people. I've, I've had to separate people who were fighting each other. And, and I, yes, I have had to deal with situations where people were smearing blood, smearing fecal matter, masturbating uh you know you you name it um i i interviewed jordan uh, uh mamaluke from immortals the singer of immortal suffering from here in new york and he works in a uh a psychiatric hospital and and we kind of commiserated on some of these things so I, i'm not trying to bring the conversation down or anything but if i'm going to be perfectly honest with you that's that's what comes to mind and that's maybe where some of those things come from and that's why i have to vent them out in my lyrics um, and maybe th there is a part of me when I'm writing the lyrics in my head, like I said before, it's like, you don't know what's on my mind. You don't know what I've seen. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I am this kind of big, uh, you know, big friendly, uh, death metal singer. Um, I shake hands at the shows. I, I, you know, I'm, I try to be as nice and considerate to people as I can in the scene and all that sort of thing. But you know, there is a dark side and we're trying to express that through, through, through metal. I think that's pretty consistent with a lot of artists, you know? Hmm. Well, this leads in really nicely to our final question, um, which is, you know, broadly speaking, what would you say is the role of lyrics uh, in Afterbirth's music uh, and in your other projects? Proving to people that there are lyrics and I'm not just making it up <laughs> like some people insinuate. Uh, no, I, I, it's interesting because it's like, what are that? that lead, that's almost there's almost a broader question there. What's the purpose of lyrics in death metal? That uh, was our next question. We're, we're going to ask. Yeah. Oh, OK, 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 OK. I'll slow down. I'll slow down. Well, the purpose of the lyrics in Afterbirth and my other bands, um, 
it's in a very selfish way. It's for my own self-expression for my own, for my own ego. Because like I said, I, you know, you, you point out, I, I don't curse. I take a lot of meticulous care in my lyrics. I, I quote and reference other lyrics I've written in the past and include them in there for anyone who might be paying attention. Um, it, yes, it does feed my ego. Let's be real. Um, it's, it's, you know, some of it is me trying to show off. Some of it is me expressing myself. It's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like creative writing. You know what I mean? It, 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 and, and, and it's, it's very indulgent for me, but at the same time, if I can come up with lyrics that my bandmates enjoy and my bandmates are happy to include, and they think that, and they think the lyrics add depth to what they've created, then everyone's happy. And there, and, and, you know, lyrics are not important for every death metal listener. I go into this knowing that there are people who buy Afterbirth shirts and CDs and come to the shows and do not know one word of the lyrics because they couldn't be bothered to read it. It's a big death metal scene. Some people are just into it because they like my drummer. Some people are just into it because they like my guitarist. They could care less what I'm doing. Some people listen to the band in spite of me because they don't like what I'm doing, but they like what the guitarist is doing. You know, it's there's there's a million different ways to, sure. to do this. So I I do the lyrics for myself. That That's why I take so much pride in them and take so much meticulous care in them because, like I said before, it's my legacy as an artist. That's what I want to leave. That's what I want to contribute. And when people read them, if they know me personally, I want the, I want them to go, wow, I didn't know that was going on in Will's head. And if they don't know me, I want them to go, you know, that's the, wow. There's something going on behind these vocals. You know, there's something deeper than just, you know, all that stuff, you know, so that, that's, that's my answer. Well, then to shock you with uh, this unsurprising, <laughs> you know, this, this next question that you did not know was coming, what do you think is the role of lyrics in extreme metal more broadly then? Well, it's, you know, you have to have an aesthetic. You have to have a theme. Um, and I guess, you know, sometimes, you know, even if you didn't have lyrics that would stop at the song titles and the album title, you have to have something, mm. you, you know what I mean? Like, even if, even if, all right. So with my vocal style, where you just the guttural vocals or like, if you know, devourment, um, disgorge, defeated sanity, these bands that have the vocals that no one can understand wormed, right. If those bands put out an album with no actual lyrics and the guy was just improvising with, there are some bands that do that. At the end of the day, they would have to make song titles, right? I mean, you they might maybe just put one, two, three, four, five. That's a concept in itself, but you know what I mean. There, there has to be some substance there. What are you, what are you trying to say? You know, even like look at, dude, look at classical music or instrumental music, jazz, where mm -hmm. there's no lyric. You know, they the song title speaks sometimes to a theme, to something that happened in the artist's life, to something you're something, some concept. You know what I mean? Um, uh why is richard wagner so controversial you know what i mean man it's just guys playing violins and harps right no there's some there's 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 depth there's lore there's concepts to music whether it's any type of music you can imagine i mean hmm. maybe the lyrics in death metal are not as crucial or maybe i should say not as upfront and not as um uh, as big a part as in rap where like lyrics are everything, you know, or, or at one point they were, um, but you know, the, the lyrics or at least the song titles, the album titles, what are you going to have the cover artist portray and paint or draw? If you don't have lyrics, if you don't have song title, you know what I mean? That's the whole, every CD behind, there might be one or two where it's like, you know, just a, you know, the, there's no real cover it's just text or something you know but they did that as a as, an, as a decision but they're mm -hmm. doing that to be different because every other band in the world has something going on that's why you have controversial national socialist black metal without the national socialist part it would just be black metal you know what i mean that's why you have 
um, uh, uh, vegan bands. Look at a band like Earth Crisis. They started a whole movement because their lyrics were about veganism and social activism. You know what I mean? Without that, it would just, it would, you know, it would just be distorted guitar, guitars and guys yelling. So it's like, or then look at Slayer. Slayer in the 80s, their lyrics were obviously the extremity of the music. I'm not going to discount Slayer's music. I'm a Slayer fan. But their their lyrics were so controversial. People thought that there were, you know, teenagers were killing other teenagers because of Slayer, which in some cases, you know, that's debatable. Drugs, environment, and all that sort of That's a whole other concept. You know, the satanic panic's a big thing for me. But I'm just, I think I've kind of made my point. You see where I'm yeah, going, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you. That's this has been really, really fascinating. Thank you for being so open and um and talking to us about all this. This is this has been wonderful. Yeah, really fascinating interview. I, I really appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on. It, this this is this has been amazing. I really feel like you've kind of turned me inwards to examine my own. Like I, you know, you pointed out themes and and kind of like uh, running running themes and concepts in my lyrics i wasn't aware of so i i appreciate it you know this is going to be on my mind when i'm writing for the new album you know awesome we love to hear that <laughs> but it's it started like we i started worrying about that like i feel like 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 as a scientist or whatever you know as a researcher i'm i'm we're impacting the, our yeah, subjects we're impacting yeah. our, we're, by observing we're we're accidentally impacting the the you know the data and now it's not that's how it is there was paradox yeah. unavoidable yeah well i mean you could also do a um I mean, the next the next project could be like what you know what after you explain these statistics and and facts to a lyricist, what you know what do they do with it? You know, what I have mean, we done? Yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> yeah. something we've been thinking about. Is like you know, should we like you know revisit some of these artists and see if like you know they have actually like been impacted by these conversations? If it's like ended up influencing their thoughts, even a really in a really minor way, like you know when they go to write their next album or whatever. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it ethically or anything like that. I mean. You guys are a little bit more um, uh, uh, data um, driven, but, you know, every every person eventually has to read reviews uh, and, you know, have mm. their music di dissected in one way or another. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. it is what it is. You know, it, uh, we not, none of us really live in a bubble. You know, it's fine. yeah, it's, it's it is what it is. And most I mean, there might be people, you know, a lot of. Uh, a lot of us death metal vocalists are probably so pig headed. We're not going to let you influence us one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> that's always good to hear that, that, yeah, that yeah exactly that's lovely well so if people want to check out more of what you're doing um obviously you know you just had the new afterbirth album so i imagine there's not one like coming down in the next few months or anything like that but where can people keep up with your work with all these projects uh do you have any tours coming out anything like that yes afterbirth is headlining the connecticut death fest uh, oh sick day, yeah data we're very excited march 9th i believe that as you can look at uh, connecticut death fest we're headlining day two of that um, the first uh, weekend in March, uh, we are, by the time this comes out, we probably will have already played with two mold at St. Vitus. We're looking forward to that. Um, no other plans with afterbirth yet. We're kind of taking it as it comes, but I, but I can tell you writing is already going on for, uh, you know, a future album that's, you mm -hmm. know, but it's, it's a lengthy process, obviously, but, um, uh, you know, after you can just check us, you know, like anyone else, check us out on social media. Afterbirth's always keeping busy and, and working on stuff. Same with Reeking Aura. We're going into the studio. After I get back from that uh, Connecticut Death Fest, Reeking Aura is going into the studio to record our second album with Colin Marston. That's going to be on Profound Lore Records. Mm -hmm. um, Exsanguinated. Uh, most of the guys in Exsanguinated are in the band Stabbed, who are doing a lot of stuff and are really busy right now. And I'm happy for them because they're my friends. So Exsanguinated's on a little bit of a hold now, uh, maybe until a few months from now in the end. But people could check for Exsanguinated. We got a two-song demo out. We played some shows. And 
Um, Heavy Hole Podcast is my podcast. We've been going for uh, since 2019. I've done hundreds of interviews with not just death metal artists, uh, people who own labels, record store owners, uh, random metal fans. We had a whole episode on Christian metal. I had a whole episode with a father-son death metal head, a team that comes to shows locally. I try to give people a little bit of insight into the history and culture of this thing. So Heavy Hole Podcast is my other baby. We're on, uh, you know, all the usual social medias and streaming platforms and Patreon. And um, I think that's about it for now. Cool. Well, thank you. We'll link all of those in the episode description. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was great meeting you guys. I really appreciate this. It it means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Love to hear that. Yeah. And I guess we'll, we'll, I suppose ending things we always do by encouraging you to tour Australia sometime. That'd be, that'd be pretty sick. Yeah, please do. I would love it. I would absolutely love it. That's why I'm in three bands because so, somebody's got to hit somewhere. Yeah. You know what, what I mean? About, yeah, one of them's got to come to Australia. Eventually, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> it's it's a numbers game nowadays. You know, it's got to be spread out in a few different bands, and something will happen, man. But cool. um, yeah, and and uh, you know, we could uh, we could set this up for the future when you guys have time. But I would love to have you on my podcast and kind of reverse roles and ask you guys about all this research you do and and you know the nature of what you're doing too. That would be great. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah, yeah. sounds great. Uh, just, all right, yeah, awesome. yeah. you got our email. Let's uh, let's organize it. Hit us up, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you haven't lost me. When when you put out the episode, we'll be in touch and all that. So we'll we'll talk it over. Sounds cool. Sweet. All right, guys. Yeah. Awesome. All right, all right. Take care, man. Have a good one. Have a great night, guys. Take Thanks care. Thanks a Thank lot. You. Peace. Thank you for listening to Lingua Rutalica. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past and present. Mm-hmm.